And listen, what I want to do is this, and uh, because everywhere I've gone since I've been in US, uh, we've noticed just the impact of the shutdown. And uh, so what I want us to do is we're going to just do two things to just make a change, okay? And here's what I mean. The Bible says, clap your hands, all you people, not just Pentecostals. Clap your hands, all you people, and shout to God with a voice of triumph or victory over what Jesus has done. So what we're going to do is we're going to do for 20 seconds, we're going to just all together clap, shout, jump, make a noise to the Lord to honor Him. Come on, let's do it, shall we? One, two, three. Let's make a shout to the Lord. Lord, we honor you. We bless you. You're the best. We honor you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We welcome you, Lord. You're the very best. Wonderful Jesus. How we love you, Lord. Wow. Awesome. That's so good. We're going to do it one more time. This time, I want you to pray in the Spirit, because when we pray in the Spirit, we activate our spirit man, and that's one other way we shift atmosphere. Whenever you're in a gathering, you want to quickly move atmospheres. Atmospheres are made up of something. And so natural atmosphere, if we go to Asia, it's a very polluted atmosphere. It's got things you can't see, but they affect the quality of your life. Spiritual atmosphere is the same. It's got things you can't see, but they affect the quality of your life. And so one of the key things as believers, we learn how to shift an atmosphere and uh, wherever we are, you build the atmosphere in your home. So it's an atmosphere of joy, laughter and life. You build it. You, you don't just assume it, you build it. Because if you don't build it, by default, what else is around will invade it. So we want to do that. So this, we're going to count to three. And on the count of three, I want us all to clap and shout, jump, whatever, and pray loudly in tongues, loudly in the Spirit. And when we pray in the Spirit, we are praising Him and we're honoring Him and magnifying Him. So we're going to do it together and the musicians will help us. They're going to make a great big noise. You know, we can't let him out of his prison, but he'll do the best he can. Ready? One, two, three. Hallelujah, Lord. We honor you. We welcome you. Holy Spirit, come in this place. Fill us, fill us, overflow us. Work miracles in our lives. Thank you, Lord. There we go. How about that? Come on, give someone a high five now. Let's be seated. When we came to uh, the city we're in, uh, the church pretty well was on the verge of closing down and uh, there was nothing left there. It was in debt by thousands of dollars. I asked the Lord not to send me there, but he sent me there. And uh, <laughs> he had a bigger, better plan. And uh, it was because I, I'm thankful I said yes, because uh, as a result of that, uh, God opened global doors for us. And so the plan God has for you far exceeds what you have, you know? I know the thoughts I have for you, thoughts of peace, but God always has a big dream for our lives, bigger than our dream. And sometimes you just got to say yes, not knowing what it'll lead to. And uh, I've done lots of yeses, not knowing what it'll lead to. And then you see, oh, wow, that's awesome. That's really good. 
And uh, when we came there, it was, uh, it was uh, shut down pretty much. And the spiritual atmosphere in the whole city was dead. And uh, God took, brought us there to shift the atmosphere and change the city. And so, you know, we just, I got rid of so many things that were just obstructing that and said, we just need to learn how to build an atmosphere where the presence of God comes and fills the place. And an atmosphere of God is always filled with joy and life and laughter and noise, expression, and, uh, and, uh, and tender worship and encounters with God. And so it was very religious. And uh, they <laughs> it was so religious that when they would come into the, the room, which had special carpet with like crowns on it, I thought, oh, man, I've never seen that before. And you come in there and they'd almost go quiet. You know, we're going in the sanctuary. And I'm thinking... What happened to all the people they were talking and now they go in? And, and I realized it's just a religious spirit. So, so we brought in noise in the music, expressive music, strong praying. And then I thought, well, you know, the other thing a religious spirit does takes away all your fun. So I said, well, I've got a birthday party coming up. I'm turning 40. So we're going to have a party in the, in the sanctuary. So we brought in, we wheeled in barbecues. And we barbecued beef and pork. I thought, what better way to offend a religious spirit than to barbecue pork in the building? And uh, we had a whole heap of people come to the birthday, some from local, some from afar, some from family. I said, don't bring any present, just bring something funny, funny story, funny act, something funny. Well, we laughed the whole night. It was the most unbelievable time we'd had, but it, it just shifted something in the atmosphere because people often, without realizing it, become subdued and shut down. But we're to be a people of the spirit who are free. When we laugh, we laugh out loud. We laugh heartily. And uh, when we share and do things, we do it with strength and might and passion and zeal, you know? You know, anything half-hearted doesn't please anyone. You know that. <laughs> Have you ever had anyone, a, a, a teenager, do a half-hearted job? Oh, my Lord. You, afterwards, you know, it was, the, you know, you wanted, uh, you know, it just was about 85%. And that's that 15% that causes such irritation and annoyance. That's the bit that drives you crazy, that withholding that last bit. And uh, there's no life in it. There's no, you can't feel the joy. And uh, so I've learned that always you know, give 105% and uh, that little extra you give in overcomes all reluctance. And, and you have something that is, is honoring to God and brings joy and freedom. So, so this is so good being in this place because I, I went into your building. We've had a building just like that and uh, it was empty. We had it empty for about two years and we just, so we'd do some things in it. Well, we had parties in it. And so what we did, oh, well, you better take that away. I'll knock it over for sure. And I won't drink it. I get too, too excited about the preaching part. And so we, we did a number of things. It was huge. It was so big when the building we bought I thought, I will never fill it, but we filled it now. And uh, filled it, yeah, absolutely filled it. But it just felt too big because I needed to stretch. And uh, so what we did do was we built in a, bought in a big Mack truck and put a band on the back and just had a party. Thought, that's a great way to have a happy church time. And then we made skate ra skating ramps and we got all the local young people to come. This kind of concrete's great for skateboards. Absolutely brilliant. It's like the perfect situation. You put a few ramps in, fun and uh so 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 we even though the building wasn't finished we did the best we could to just make the use of it that we could and then eventually there came a time when uh we we just needed to just get in it and we'd done the, the bulk of the work 
We did it all ourselves, and, uh, and we got in. Just got in and out. It's an all-paid-off thing with many millions, and, and it's a center of hub of activity in our city. Isn't that great? And my son, I, I told my son, look, you know, the one thing I want to do, he's hand, I've handed the church over to him. I said, uh, you can change everything, including selling the building and property, but don't, don't let go of the DNA, the, the mission God gave us when we came, because that's the reason for your existence, to carry on what God initiated here. And so you need to be able to define the DNA and, and reproduce it. But everything else is just supports that, therefore everything else can be changed. So you can change everything. And so he made some great changes. Would you believe it? So, so during the COVID, we got into it and got stuck into it and made a whole heap of changes. And then at the beginning of the year, the, the week he was about to announce to the church, it's all the cafes open, the kitchens all open, we can feed the community. The week we were going to declare it open, there was a cyclone came into our region, which we've never had before, devastated the region, flooded out the orchards, and people were displaced in their homes, and we turned the church into a center for housing people. We had about 160 people. We fed them, did everything. Everyone saw what we'd done because it was now being used as it should be. And uh, isn't that great? Anyway, that's just by the by. So let's just, if you've got a Bible, have a look at Luke chapter 6. Have a look in Luke chapter 6. I better watch out for time. So Luke 6. Came to pass on another Sabbath that Jesus entered the synagogue and taught, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. Luke's quite clear. It was his right hand. It was withered. We'll come back to it in a moment. And the scribes and Pharisees watched Jesus whether he'd heal on the Sabbath day so they might find an accusation against him. In fact, when you read in the other passages or, or versions of this, he actually, uh, they actually challenged him publicly. But he knew their thoughts. How about that? God knows your thoughts. And, uh, <laughs> ooh. And he said to the man which had the wither hand, stand up, rise up, stand forth in the midst. And he rose and stood forth. And Jesus then spoke back to the religious leaders. I'll ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do evil, save life or destroy it? And looking around upon them, he said to the man, stretch forth your hand. And as he did so, his hand was restored and made whole as the other. And they, that's the religious leaders, uh, were filled with madness and communed with one another what they might do to Jesus and went out. The Pharisees immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Now, all of these stories, you know, there's many stories. The Bible tells us so many miracles Jesus did that you cannot contain them in all the books. So therefore, the Holy Spirit selected miracles. Every miracle, every area where Jesus ministered, you can learn something about Jesus, something about what God is like, and you can learn some principles. So this is one of those stories. Notice there, there's some people in there. There's the religious leaders, the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the religious leaders. They were law keepers. And they were legalists. They built their whole life around the, uh, how you interpreted the Bible, how you applied it to life. And they ended up adding, you know, six, seven hundred extra rules, how you can do life. So they made the whole of the church shut down under a spirit of legalism which uh, tells us their heart had no connection with God and this picture of the, the man with the withered hand actually is a reflection of the condition of the heart of the church of its day. So, so legalism's a big issue. And one of the issues about religious people is they will always accuse. 
They will always raise accusations, which is what they did. The Herodians, you notice, they all joined together and came into agreement. The Herodians were a political party, and the, the Pharisees had nothing to do with the Herodians. Religious people had nothing to do with political people, except they came together for one purpose, and that was how to kill Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Now you see it all there. So they were the followers of Herod and uh, their focus as a political party was to restore the greatness of Israel. That's what that, that's those people. And uh, you notice there that the religious people and the political people, the one thing that united them because they were enemies, the one thing that united them was the common cause of destroying Jesus. Now that's never changed. It's quite interesting to see that people who are opposed can come together around one cause. And without going into it too much, the religious movement that is opposed to Christ is Islam. And without uh, making too much of a deal of it, uh, Islam and the political left really have nothing in common except they hate Jesus. And so they will come together on that basis. So I wanted to get distracted and all of that, but I just want you just to see, uh, just there's a lot more in these stories than you realize, and it's very relevant for today. So I don't want to be firing things off. I want you to keep focused on Jesus. Let's not get distracted. And notice there that in, in Mark 3, it tells us that Jesus looked around and he was very grieved and angry because of the hardness of their heart the lack of compassion and the legalism that they had. Religion does not care for people. It cares for things appearing right and being conformed into a certain behavior patterns. And so it's very rare that Jesus got angry. He didn't get angry with sinners. Now think about that. There's no record that he got angry with sinners. In fact, one of the big accusations were that Jesus welcomed the tax collectors and sinners and he actually honored them by eating with them. And the, the Pharisees were very, very uh, annoyed by what Jesus did and criticized them because the people didn't deserve to be honored like that. So when you start to look and you ask, what is God like? He's not angry at the people you think he's angry at. The thing that makes him really angry is legalism. People who say they know God, but misrepresent him and cause people to be brought into bondage of legalism. That is what angered him. If you think about who ended up putting him to death, it was not the sinners did it. It was actually religious legalists of the day came against the Spirit of God. Nothing has ever changed in all of this. So it's quite interesting. Okay, now let's go to the story. The story is a man in the synagogue and he has a withered hand, a withered hand. Now, uh, the, in, in Luke's uh, situation, he says it was the right hand. So, so these little details may seem nothing, but they're really quite important. In the Bible, the right hand is very significant because the right hand is used for a number of things. And so the Bible talks about God blessing, God blessing the work of our hand. And so a number of scriptures, I won't go into them, but if we could just have a bit of a think about this, and that is uh, 
that the right hand in the Bible is symbolic or representative of a whole number of things. Firstly, you work and provide usually with your right hand. Most people are right-handed. So to have a withered right hand means you are restricted uh, in your ability to work and provide for yourself. It means your provision has been withheld. Okay. Uh, secondly, the right hand was used to bless people. You laid hands with the right hand. It was called the right hand of blessing. And so it was the hand you would use to lay hands on people. So when it says his hand was withered, he was unable to reach out and bring blessing, the life, the flow of the Holy Spirit to others. Thirdly, the right hand is also called the right hand of fellowship because when you met someone, you shook right hands. The reason for shaking a right hand is the right hand is the sword hand. And so when you shake right hands, then that means you're not going to pull your sword out and stab them. It's called the right hand of fellowship. The right hand is symbolic of building relationship, building connection, having fellowship. A withered right hand then is very vivid picture of someone who is drawn back from fellowship, drawn back from relationship, drawn back from connection. The next thing is the right hand is used to eat. Now, it's not quite the same here in the West, but uh, I've been up in, uh, I remember my first trip to India, and they said, there's some things you need to know. I said, okay, tell me, tell me. They said, well, when you lay hands on people, do not lay your left hand on them. Do not touch them with your left hand. Just lay hands with the right hand. I said, okay, I can do that. They said, when it comes to eating at the table, just eat with your right hand. And I said, okay, I can do that. So, but they didn't tell the why until we went to the loo and found out actually they just have a bowl of water and that's what the left hand is for. And it was a shock. I had no idea really that in the culture, it was everything to bless people was the right hand. You never touched anyone with your left hand. And so you understand then for this man's right hand to be withered, he would defile every table he went to. Therefore, he can't eat at the table with other people he is really excluded from relationship because you fellowship over meals. You build intimate relationship over meals. Uh, and so the right hand is also usually used to hold a sword and to fight. So it's symbolic of his inability to fight and to make a stand for what is right. So the right hand is quite, in the Bible, is symbolic of many, many things. And uh, I'm just giving you some of them here. Uh, the right hand is also a symbol of power and authority. At the right hand of God is the place of power and authority. So if the right hand is withered, no spiritual power, no authority, which the religious leaders had no authority, no power. Their heart was withered and their ministry was withered, powerless. Get the idea? And then, of course, uh, the right hand is also... The hand usually extend to give to people. It's always symbolized also generosity. So when the right hand is withered, then generosity has ceased. So this is the condition of the man. So, so sometimes when you look at the stories, there's more in it than just meets the eye of a man coming to church and getting a miracle. The story is show, it, it, it's actually put out there to give us an understanding of usually much more than that. It's selected story. So it pays you to think about the Word of God and meditate on it and let the Lord help you just inquire what the different things mean. So the man has a withered hand. What does the word withered mean? Literally, it means to be completely dried up. So the, the hand 
had seriously withered up. That means to lose all its life. You ever had a piece of fruit, fell under the kid's bed, then you find it. Or it was rolled under the back, the car seat, and then you find it, oh, just withered. So that's, that's, that's kind of like, it's lost all the life. It means no life in it, no vibrancy in it. So his right hand actually had lost all vibrancy or flexibility. Every muscle had withered, and now what had happened was when the muscles wither, then they shrink, and so the hand begins to go like that, and then usually it turns inward as well. So it just helps if you, if you just think a little bit about the story and what was going on then. So essentially, his hand is rigid, inflexible, and can't be used to handle anything. His hand is turned inward, and not only that, he is carrying enormous shame. Now, frequently, and you'd know this from school days, when someone's a little different or a little deformity or they've got some scar or some kind of thing that makes them stand out, often they get ridiculed, it gets pointed out, they get a very hard time. In the culture of Jesus' day, it was an honor-shame culture, and so anyone who was deformed like that, they would be considered cursed, and they would be shamed publicly, ridiculed, mocked, people would avoid them. They were considered that there must be some kind of curse on them, and they were not only an embarrassment publicly in the community despised, but also the family they came from would also be considered, well, there's something wrong with the family. They must have done something. So you'll notice even to this day, if you go to Asia, usually handicapped people are hidden. You don't see them anywhere. Because of the shame they feel about a person who is handicapped. It's so an honor-shame cultures are very like that. And so people like that get a very hard time and they don't fit in very well. So I could share a heap of other things about it, but we're just, I want to get on to actually just the miracle part of it and help you just sort of understand what the background is. So what causes people to be withered? You notice this man had a withered hand. The Pharisees had withered hearts. God is trying to portray a picture of the church in his day. The church in his day had changed from what God intended. Now, the Hebrews were very familiar with the Bible. And so when they saw the man with the withered hand, they would be very aware that there's one situation in their history where a man had his hand withered and it needed a miracle to free him. And what was that? Well, that was King Jeroboam. And King Jeroboam uh, was a, a king over 10 tribes and he was so insecure in his leadership that instead of permitting the people to go where they needed to go to worship, what he did was he built two gold and two brass altars, one at either end of Israel. And these are the things he did. He generated a form of religion that was convenient for people, a seeker-friendly religion. He said, oh, it's too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Hey, I've made this easier for you. You don't have to do that. In other words, it's a religion without commitment, cost, and sacrifice. Second thing he did was this. Second thing he did was he changed the standards of holiness required by God for his people or for the priests specifically. And it says he allowed every kind of person to be involved or included even though they were ungodly. In other words, and it's just, you can see the same things happening today. He just lowered all the standards 
so everyone could be included. He didn't hold to what God required. He dropped what God required in order that he could be inclusive. In fact, actually, he corrupted the church of his day. And uh, there's, there's several things he did like that. And uh, another thing he did was he um, changed the, the, the feast. The feast of the seventh month is prophetic of the coming of the Lord and the need to prepare. And he put it off and changed it, which is a picture of these, this kind of leadership in the church across the Western world where they have substitutes for God instead of the power of the Holy Spirit where they make a religion that's convenient and easy and doesn't require the cost and sacrifice that brings the fire of God, where they drop the standard so everyone's included and they don't teach the church about the coming of the Lord and the need to prepare. Every king after him, their journey was defined by whether they followed his pattern, the sins of Jeroboam or not. And so when the prophet confronted him and he stretched his hand out to destroy the prophet, his hand became withered and it took a miracle of God to change it. Now, when you look at the story, you can see you're looking at something else. You're not just the story of a man who has a withered hand, but the whole deal is showing up that the church of Jesus day had substituted for the power of God had changed the standards and the way God expected things to be done, had corrupted virtually the nation by it. And there was no power of God, no presence of God, and there was no clear message that would empower people's lives. And it was demonstrated by the man with the withered hand. Now, when you read all the stories and put them together, you will find this is not about a miracle. This is a confrontation with a religious world that is powerless and legalistic and not representing what God is like. How about that? A lot more in the story than you realize. So, so what causes people to become with? Remember when the man has a withered hand? Your hand represents many aspects of your life, but when the hand got withered, then what the hand would do was it would close up, become very rigid, couldn't be used, and would turn inward, and often the person would conceal it and hide it. So it really, it's a picture of believers who for whatever reason have drawn back, have turned inward, and no longer able to do many things they used to do. So what causes believers to become withered spiritually? What causes people who once walk with God to close up their heart and their hand, to stop serving, to stop walking with God, to begin to draw back and turn inward and begin to focus on their own life? Well, there's a whole number of things. Let me give you a few of them. One of them is fear. The spirit of fear will cause you to become withered, turn you inward, so you save yourself. For three years, we've had a message, be afraid, save yourself. That spirit of fear has affected the church in the West and caused many to draw back to try and save themselves. They've become withered. They're lacking the vibrancy, lacking the power, lacking the flow of God. Paul wrote to Timothy, Timothy, stir up the gift of God that's in you by the laying of hands, for God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. So what has happened is he was once moving in the spirit, and now he's drawn back, that aspect of his life has become withered. 
He still loves the Lord. He's still serving the Lord. But a whole dimension of power has withered and drained up. And Paul has to write to him twice, says, stir up that gift inside you, young man. Stir it up. God didn't give you a spirit of fear. That didn't come from God. God has given you something else. There's, there's other things. Other things that cause people to draw back and, and shut down. A witchcraft attacks. You think of the story of Elijah. And Elijah was doing fine, calling fire from heaven, slaying the boat. And then Jezebel attacks him. There's a witchcraft attack on him. He becomes intimidated and he runs away and finds himself hiding in a cave. And the word of God comes to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? I have an assignment for you, for the nation. Why are you in the cave? Why have you withdrawn? I haven't got a replacement. I chose you to stand up and I empowered you to do what I called you to do. What are you doing here in the cave? You don't belong in a cave. Come out of that cave. See, another thing that causes people to draw back is offenses. Offense, offenses, offenses, they get offended. If you have pastors and leaders that love you, they are committed to you growing, not to you just feeling good. I remember when I was going through a tough time and I was having a bit of a row with God over it. He said, I am not committed to your comfort, I am committed to your character. Whoa, that was a bit of a slap on the face. That's got my head clear straight away. And we were going through a very painful, disturbing time and felt let down by God and we're in a deep black hole. And I was starting to think, well, what's the use of praying? What's the use of this and that? And then God spoke to me. I'm not committed to your comfort. I'm committed to your character. The Holy Spirit has an assignment to develop your character. Now that means things won't always go right and things will arise that will offend you. And you've got to learn to get over it. The Bible says, those who love your word, nothing shall offend them. So offenses have to do with being immature. Having brokenness in our heart and issues with authority, and we can't actually let someone speak into our life. Oh, now it got quiet. I kind of felt... You know, in our journey, we've always welcomed someone to speak into our life. I didn't just wait for it to happen like that. I actually went and said, we are committed to grow. We're committed to serve. We want to be all God has for us. If you see anything in our lives that we don't see, we invite you to speak in and help us to grow. That's a great attitude, isn't it, eh? That's the kind of attitude that gets you doing all kinds of things. It's probably why I'm here, instead of falling off the rock somewhere. <laughs> so it's, it's not easy when people come to speak into your heart, but if you make it welcome, then you can grow in your journey. When people do it, they don't always get it right, but if you listen to God, you'll get what he's trying to tell you. See, the Bible says, Jesus taught in the last days, many would be offended and betray many. So in other words, one of the big things of the end times is people being offended. Well, you don't have to look far to see that. Go on the media and you see people ranting and raving over the slightest little things. Basically, they are wounded people, broken people, who when something comes that challenges them, instead of actually listening and weighing it up and responding, they just react with anger and offense. 
and that Jesus warns that'll happen. Uh, another thing that causes people to draw back is disappointment. Disappointment. Disappointment will cause people to, the Bible, Jesus told me a little while ago when I was facing some disappointments, he said, disappointments accumulate and they cause you to no longer look forward in anticipation because you're afraid of being hurt again. They, call, they cause your heart to grow cold because you feel I've let you down. And he said, they, they're used by the enemy to manipulate you. So I wonder what disappointments have got into your heart and you're still chugging along, but something changed. The fire isn't there anymore. The commitment isn't there anymore. The passion isn't there anymore. We're just gonna play it safe now. I've drawn back, I've turned inward a little bit now and I'm kind of hiding the best of my life because I don't really want that to happen again. You, you can't live your life powerfully like that, trying to save yourself. Peter said, when Jesus said, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to, su- I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer many things. I'll be put to death and I'll rise again gloriously. Now, all Peter heard was, you're mucking up my plans. Because he's thinking, what'll ha- if Jesus dies, he didn't hear the resurrection, but he just heard suffering and death and I don't want that. So he calls Jesus over and said, Jesus, save yourself. Save yourself. Pity yourself. Don't do this. You've got a good thing going. Let's not stop it. And Jesus rebuked him and said, get behind me, Satan. You don't think about or value the things of God. You value the things of men. He saw it's a demonic spirit causes people to draw back and oppose what God has for their life. How about that? Okay, then. So maybe some of you are already there. So notice what Jesus said then. So, so how does Jesus deal with the thing? Well, Jesus basically sets up a provocation. He actually provokes them. And I found as I've looked through the Bible, I've realized Jesus wasn't all meek and mild and gentle lamb. He actually was a warrior as well. And he actually stood in the face of a whole crowd and could call them all out for what they were doing. He's amazing. And so he does this with a miracle. He says to the man, now notice when you see what happens to the the miracles with the man, he gives the man three commands. He gives him three commands. The first command he gives him is stand up. That's an interesting word. That word literally means to awaken. (laughs) How about that? Awaken. Like you've been asleep, now wake up. You see, because when people have been hurt and wounded and draw back for whatever reason, they become passive and they sit down on the inside. The passion's not there. The fight's not there. The, the, the degree of commitment's not there. Something has shifted. And he's saying, wake up on the inside. Look at your condition. Stand up again. Make a decision on the inside. You're not gonna be passive. You want me now for him to stand up is to actually become the figure of everyone's attention. You can't let the crowd decide how your future will go. You've got to make the decision, no matter what anyone else does, I'm making a stand. I'm moving on with my life and my walk with Christ. I am not going to be passive, asleep, shut down, no matter what happened to me. Second thing Jesus said was he called him to himself, come near me. It's not just a matter of waking up. We're called back to a close, 
intimate connection with Jesus. And if that's been damaged by anything that anyone's done to you, whether it's church or life or whatever, it's important we come boldly back to Him again because He is the source. Every person you'll ever meet in your life is imperfect. At times, they will let you down, whether deliberately or unintentionally, but He will never let us down. We are to come boldly to the throne of grace, obtain mercy if we failed, and empowerment at the time of need. The third thing, third thing, this is what I love this part he said, stretch out your hand. Now that defies reasoning. Stretch. The miracle was not in the standing up and coming near, the miracle was in the stretch. It was in the stretch doing something that's naturally difficult or impossible. It's in the moving out of the comfort zone that the miracle took place. To stretch means intentionally overcome resistance. To stretch means extend outside what you're comfortable with. What is a comfort zone? A comfort zone is a place where or a situation when things are familiar, you feel at ease and you feel in control. And if you stay there, it's a problem. In the comfort zone, people don't try anything new. In the comfort zone, people cruise. In the comfort zone, they're playing it safe. They're not taking any more risks. In the comfort zone, they do things they're familiar with instead of taking on a new challenge. During COVID, people retreated to their comfort zone. The problem is when the crisis is over, the comfort zone becomes your confinement zone. You're now in a prison. Unless you break out again and get back into the place you were and walking strongly with God. Why is it so hard to leave a comfort zone? Because it is. I think fear and uncertainty. We don't know what it'll be if I step out, take up that responsibility, step out and start that business, step out and begin to form new relationships is fear and, and anxiety comes around us. Secondly, it's the temptation to just stay where we feel good and avoid risk. It's natural. Here's the problem. When you get older, it gets more and more like that. You want to stay in a comfort zone. I've just been to Pakistan. We had soldiers around us, gunmen everywhere, couldn't go out unaccompanied because there was a risk of being killed all the time. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. This is awesome. Give me a photo with the man with the gun. And, you know, they had a, they had a uh, what do you call it now? They had a, a terrorist attack just the day before we arrived and 10 soldiers killed. And the army rang up and said, we can't even protect ourselves from terrorists. We strongly advise you to shut down the conferences. And the pastor was said, no, I'm a man of God. I don't give in to fear. We are going to go ahead with our conferences. And they pleaded with him and pleaded with him. He said, no, we're going ahead. And so we had a conference of pastors, 7,000 pastors from across Pakistan. Never happened before. Some of them had never seen a miracle before. They're from every denomination, every background. And we were able to impart to them the power of God, let them see God moving. 
Then we had two nights of crusades. 450,000 Muslims in the first one, 350,000 Muslims in the second, 650,000 conversions. People came to Christ for the first time. 500,000 people baptized in the Holy Spirit and more miracles. We had no way of keeping count of all the miracles God did. You can't stay in the comfort zone. It's when you step out of the comfort zone, that's when you see different things happen. You have to stretch. You have to stretch. Habits and tradition, that's what will hold you back too. All the things I've just talked about, fear, offences, disappointments, whatever it is, injustice, betrayal, grief, what is it has withered you and caused you to draw back from God and lose the fire and the passion? What have you let get around your life? Is there a spirit of grief got around you? A spirit of rejection? Has something come around you that shuts you down? Jesus is calling to you. The nation needs a vibrant church. It needs a church that is awake, a church that is on its feet, a church that is no longer withered and held back, but is stretched out and experienced the power of God, that's moving in the power of God, that's restored. And as the man stretched out, his hand was restored just like the other one. Maybe today for you, it's a stretch because of something that's caused you to draw back, it'd be a great day to say, God, I hear you speaking to me. I've got a part of my life that's withered. I know exactly when it happened and why it happened. And today I hear your voice saying, wake up, don't stay that way. I hear your voice saying, come near to me and engage me. I'm hearing your voice say, don't stay in that comfort zone any longer, but make a stretch. It may be in your personal walk with God. It may be in your relationships, your finances, your work, the ministry, engagement in church. There's so many different possibilities for this. Everyone knows where you drew back and why you drew back. Don't let someone else's sin or bad behaviour determine where your life goes. You make the decision. I'm not the victim. I am standing up on the inside. I'm getting near to Jesus again. And whatever's caused me to draw back, I am bringing it to the cross today. Why don't we all stand to our feet? We're gonna have a chance for you to receive ministry prayer today. We wanna pray for people that need the touch of God, that some part of your life is withered, held in demonic bondage held you back and you say, God, I want to be free today. If that's you, once you make your way quickly to the front, let's come. Let's build an altar in our heart to the Lord and let's believe for the Spirit of God to come. Some of you are harboring offenses. Things have happened that's hurt you and wounded you. Some of you, it's bitterness that goes right back to your father and mother. Some of you, it's grief that goes back to another church you were part of and the way you were treated and the dishonor that was there. For some of you, it's a relationship that broke down. For some of you, it's just fear. You become fearful, fearful of being rejected, fearful of failing, fearful of actually being abandoned. You say, God, today, I need to deal with that thing. Once you make your way, just as the musicians start to play, we begin to honor Jesus, lift up His name. Why don't you first prepare your heart as we just worship Jesus? Then I'm gonna lead you in a prayer and we'll lay hands on you and pray for you. The first step is prepare your heart. So while we're worshiping, 
talk to Jesus. Is there a sin? Repent of it. Is there someone to forgive? Forgive them. If there's a decision you made that was wrong, just renounce it. Jesus, I need an encounter with you today. I'm coming forward to encounter you and to be set free. Would you do that? As we worship, you prepare your heart. something specific we drew back in you know what it is whatever hurt you whatever affected you negatively whatever wounded you whatever disappointed you offended you frightened you they caused you to draw back bring it to the cross right now this is what we'll do I will lead you in a prayer at the end of the prayer I want us all to continue worshiping Jesus. I will pray a prayer over you and we'll come and lay hands on you for God to touch you. When we lay hands on you, stop praying. You can't give out and receive at the same time. So when someone lays hands on you, you just receive. We need to make sure this catch is there. It's a hard floor. I don't want anyone falling over. If you're in the ministry team praying for anyone, make sure they don't fall over. Hold them follow me in this prayer. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I know in my heart where I drew back. Lord, today I ask you to heal me. What you did for that man, do that for me today. I repent of sin and I receive your forgiveness. I forgive those who've hurt me. I release the offenses. I cancel judgments. 
Lord, I reach out to you now. I claim freedom. I claim healing in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. I receive it now. I receive it now. Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's begin to worship and together. I stand in apostolic office today. I speak of every person here. I take authority in the spirit realm. I break all witchcraft curses. I take authority over spirits of fear, shame, bitterness, unforgiveness, unclean spirits, spirits of addiction, spirits of bondage, spirits of grief, death, suicide, disappointment, infirmity. I command you in Jesus' name. 